The following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitanoia, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. And now, here's Dr. Dan. Good morning. If you have your copy of the scriptures, join me if you would in Romans chapter 14. Romans 14. There's a lot going on at Calvary Baptist Church, and I just want to say, say thanks once again to Dave and Becky. Uh, Kenny has come home and had Bible questions, and he talked about the croissants and Swedish fish all when it happened. So I uh, made they'll remember that. Obviously, Scotty remembers that, and so we thank you for that. Also, thank you to the trustees uh, who uh, and everyone else who came to help clean up the farm. Obviously, we have a vision for how the farm will be used, and so this week, the Pastor Rob's be using it for youth ministry. And some of you have this has kind of gone underneath the radar, but. Uh, we have a college group that meets uh, two, t- two Tuesdays a month. Uh, I lead it, and it's, it's been a blessing to me. And, but we are having on Thursday, June 16th, we're going to have sort of a summer kickoff for those, that college group. And you don't have to be a member of Calvary Baptist to come to that group. And if you have a church home, that's, that's great. Uh, but we want to put something on that supports college kids at this unique stage. I guess you're not kids anymore, but you know what I mean. You're younger than me, and uh, so we want to put that on. You're welcome to come if you have friends that you'd like to invite. Uh, more details will be coming. Also, we have a ton going on uh, this month in June. Vacation Bible School, Chris has got a meeting afterwards, and also our mission trip to Trafalgar is going on. And those of you who are scheduled to go, I have not forgotten to plan. In fact, um, you'll be getting something this week, just kind of some details about that, but that's coming up in June. And Another thing that starts today, we, um, we're actually going to be, our sermons are going to be on WITY radio for at least the next six months, and we'll be on at 110 today, and so I'm excited about that. I've had a great experience working with them already, and so looking forward to that. So, But we're in Romans chapter 14, and I have shared with you uh, probably this story. I'm sorry, when you preach a lot, you, you share some stories more than once. But nevertheless, I've shared with you that uh, because I like Christian heavy metal, uh, going into my first youth ministry job, I, I had a, we had this, this car that had, was used to be Chrissy's and it became mine and had a, a moonroof and the sun, windows would go down. And so on the way to, school, to work every week or every day, uh, I would put the windows down and the moonroof open and I would listen to my, my the kids told me later they call it Screamo. Uh, I, we'll call it that, whatever. It was loud and I, I knew what they were saying. But I, as I got closer to town, I would start turning the radio down. And then when I got to kind of Main Street where all the people were, because Hermitage is a, a rural town, and so I would get to Main Street, and I would do I was just afraid somebody was going to hear it and be like, what are you doing there? And I didn't then. I just didn't want it to be a problem for somebody else that I liked it. But I always say, you ever have one of those imagined conversations with somebody? I don't know if anybody, I do this sometimes. But I imagined one, Hermitage had lots of farmers, salt of the earth people. I loved those people, still love those people. I'm looking forward to going back there in July to, to preach near there, and I hope to see some of them. But I always imagine one of the farmers being in the parking lot when I pulled in, just kind of looking at me, it's funny. 
What in the world are you losing in there, son? Well, that's Christian. Did I say it's Christian heavy metal? You trying to tell me that Jesus Christ likes that music? You sure he even knows what he's saying in there, son. That conversation never happened, but that was kind of how I envisioned it. And the truth was, I don't know if, well, I'm sure Jesus understood better than I do what the guy was singing, to be frank with you. The truth was, I was trying to do what Roman, Paul tells us in Romans 14 to do. To enjoy my freedom in Christ responsibly. See, I did not want my enjoyment of that particular style of music, which, by the way, I do not think belongs in church. It's not really written for worship service. Just, just so calm down, all right? <laughs> and it isn't the only thing I listen to. It would probably put me in a bad mood all the time, all right? So just relax, Baptists. But I did not want that thing to be a problem for what God was doing in the church. I didn't want it to cause pro- I knew where I was living. I knew who I served, and I loved those people. And I didn't want what I enjoyed to cause them a problem. So I turned it off when I came into town. And what I began to understand as I studied the Apostle Paul's writings here in, in Romans 14 was this. We have a lot of freedom in Christ and with great freedom comes great responsibility. And he says, basically, here's my summary. Enjoy your freedom in Christ responsibly. We're going to look at chapter 14, verse 13 to 23. But to kick off our readings, I'm just going to read verse 19 through 21. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God, Everything indeed is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I do thank you and praise you for today and this opportunity to gather in your house. We thank you for your history of calling faithful people here to serve this body. I pray that you bless uh, Dave and Becky uh, as they, I know they're not really retiring on God. They're, they're just doing something different. So I thank you for them. Thank you for the testimony we've heard and just the faithfulness of our trustees who served this morning. Pray that as I open the word with my church family today, that your spirit would be heavy in our midst. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've spent any time around Christians, you might be aware that we sort of have these intra-family debates about what we are free to enjoy as Christians and about what we are not free to enjoy. But actually, as you really think about it, I imagine if you were an outsider listening into our debates, you would not hear us talking about what we were free to enjoy. You would actually be seeming to focus on what is off-limits. And so when I thought that through a little further, I remembered the Garden of Eden where, where Satan shows up and God has just said, hey, hey, kids, enjoy each other, enjoy everything, but there's one thing, just don't, that tree, stay away from it. Or, don't eat of it because the day that you, he didn't say stay away from it. He said, stay, don't eat it because the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And they're, they're like, okay, there's that tree, but hey, look at all this other stuff, right? So then Satan shows up and he's like, has God really said you shouldn't eat of that tree? Well, he knows that that's what's keeping you from freedom. The day he, You're not going to die. 
He's keeping you. He's keeping you down from being smarter and wiser like He is. He's restricting your freedom unfairly, I might add. And so when we hear about a lot of our debates, they always seem to focus on what's off limits, which is what Satan did, rather than focusing on what we are free to enjoy. And so we debate music styles. We debate clothing styles. We debate whether we can have a glass of wine for dinner, with dinner or not. And the Roman Christians were dealing with whether or not they were free to eat bacon or pork chops or have a glass of wine, amongst other things. And then there was the question of how Jewish do the non-Jewish people have to become now that Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, is their Lord and Savior? Do they have to celebrate all the festivals? Do they have to do church on Saturday? Can they worship on Thursday if they've got to work on Sunday? Those were the questions they were wrestling with. And for the Jewish person, this was uncomfortable. And for the Gentile, they're kind of like, we never celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles before. Why do we have to do it now? Aren't we okay with God through faith in Jesus Christ? And the Jews are like, we've never known anything but kosher foods. A BLT looks good, but I don't think I can eat that and still be good with God. They wanted to eat kosher. So how Jewish do the Gentiles have to become? How free were uh, the Jews? What was okay to enjoy? And what was off limits? If I could summarize the Apostle Paul's point in our passage as we're going to look into this passage, essentially is this. You are free in Christ to enjoy, enjoy anything that God has made for humans to enjoy. But do so responsibly. So what does that look like? Well, verse 13 through 15, the first thing we see is do we are not to make our freedom in Christ a problem for someone else. Look at verse 13 through 15. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Seems to me they were actually already doing it, so that's why he says stop doing it. But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. We'll talk about what that means. Verse 14, I know and I am persuaded, I have this conviction in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Translation, bacon is fine, but if someone thinks it is not, it is not okay for them to eat it. Verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy, what a strong word, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Did that word destroy there? When my initial notes, I was like, wow, that's a really strong word. And so I just studied out, and it, the Greek word's apolumi, and it, it has destroy. It could be like taking a wrecking ball to a building. I don't know that that was quite the image Paul had in mind. The synonym, which shows up elsewhere in the New Testament, is ruin. It's the idea of somebody's got this walk with God, and you come along and you, you tinker with it, and it messes up the whole works, kind of like what I do with my computer when I try fixing it. You see, so the idea here is uh, messing up someone else's faith by what you are free to enjoy. So we're going to talk about that. First thing he says in verse 13, it's a command. Stop judging each other for the freedom that they enjoy. 
we say stop doing it anymore, you can put it down, that means they were already actively doing that to each other. And you have this weird context of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. To put this in perspective, Israel was like their own distinct people, and they did not really hang out with Gentiles if they could avoid it. So God does this unique thing in Christ. He's got Jews and non-Jews together in one big, happy, dysfunctional family with all the different ideas about what you could eat, not eat, what holidays were okay, what you could wear, all of these things. He says, stop judging each other over this stuff. Don't judge another for their freedom and don't hinder another with your freedom. Don't make it a problem for somebody else. So Paul's concern is that a Christian's walk with God might be ruined, destroyed, by being led to go against their conscience. I had this experience on the first mission trip I ever went on. I was in El Salvador, and we're, uh, we're driving around in these buses. I don't have a clue where we're going. We had these people with us. They call them the nationals. And they were something like tour guides for us Americans. They knew where we were going. They knew the language. They, they knew the customs and the cultures, and they kept us from getting in trouble. And on the bus, I would listen. I, kids, get this. Before MP3 players, we had these things that kind of open up like a hamburger called CD players, Walkmans. And so I had, a, I had a Walkman, and I had a gospel CD sung by none other than the king himself, not Jesus, but Elvis Presley. And that was what I was listening to. And I sat down next to one of the nationals, and uh, uh, we're talking, and he's like, well, what are you listening to? And I'm like, oh, it's a gospel CD. It's Elvis. And this was like a contradiction in terms that a gospel CD could possibly exist sung by Elvis Presley. I'm like, have you heard how great thou art? This guy's killing it. Nobody I've ever heard sings it better than this. And No, no, no. And so I just dropped the subject because it was obvious that for him, it was not going to be okay for me to have one earbud in and him to have the other while we drove down the road in the school bus. It messed with his conscience, and I didn't want to make it. We cannot allow freedom in Christ to cause someone else to stumble. See, while I am convinced from the Scriptures, and you may have a different take on it than I do, that I was fine to enjoy that song, regardless of the fact that it was Elvis. You mean the Elvis, the guy who... I think he died of a drug overdose. He started singing in church. It sounded beautiful. Nevertheless, you may not be comfortable with that. I tested some Baptist preachers once. Ready? What I did? This is what I did when I was... Well, this was crazy. You know that song, Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds? That hippie song? Do you know that that is basically as biblical of a song as you're ever going to come across? I actually got the praise team to sing it. And everyone stood there like, we know we like this song. We don't want anybody else to know we like this song. And it was kind of like, are we okay to enjoy this? And I'm like, yeah, sing along. So I, tried, I dropped that on some, ba- some, uh, some Baptist preachers. I'm like, what do you think of this? And they're like, no, no, like, it's too close to sin. I'm like, it's Ecclesiastes 3. If I can't even enjoy some, when a a non-Christian sings the Bible, how can I possibly engage them on any level? 
Nevertheless, that's a, that's a separate sermon for another day. We cannot, however, allow our freedom in Christ to cause someone else to stumble. And so I, thought, I said, well, hey, well, I got some other CDs that are not made by Elvis. We must love others enough to put their needs before our freedom. If we can't love others more than our liberty, we reveal that we are actually enslaved to our passions and desires. Let me say that again. If we cannot put the needs of other, others before our freedom, we are showing that we are actually enslaved to the things that we said, thinks are signs of our freedom. See, but Paul basically, what he is, would say, I think as I've read him out, I am free to enjoy everything, but I, I'm, I'm so set free in Christ that I can set this aside so I can love my brother and sister well. That's true freedom. In America, we've kind of gotten warped a little bit. Freedom is something like no restrictions at all. It's not working well, but we keep trying it. And God's like, that's not freedom. That's more like jumping out of a plane without a parachute. He knows us. And he's watching us tear our own country apart with this stuff. We must love others enough to put their needs before our freedom. If we can't love others more than our liberty, we reveal that we are actually enslaved to our passions and desires. Second thing we see is not only are we not to make our freedom an issue or a problem for somebody else, freedom in Christ to do the things that you enjoy is not the ultimate value. Verse 16 through 18. It's not the ultimate value. It's important, but not the ultimate. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. I think by the way in which you enjoy those good things is what he's talking about. If it causes problems, it's going to be spoken of as evil. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. In Christ, Paul had found a freedom that he had never known, but God's work in a believer's life was more important to him than freedom was. And that's the attitude I think he wants us to capture. When you look at that passage, there's a sort of logic that emerges. Don't miss it. In verse uh, 17, he, uh, yeah, verse 17, he basically describes a miniaturized version of the list of the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians 5. Fruits of the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit produces is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And he gives a condensed version of that. And he says, look, uh, the kingdom of God, while you're free to enjoy food, that's not really what it's all about. That's secondary. Christy and I have a, a wonderful, I think wonderful marriage. I like, I like being home with our kids most of the time. Except for when they fight. I want them to experience freedom in our home. I want to experience joy. But you know what? Freedom in the home is not actually more important than the thing that unites us together. Love is what unites us together, not our freedom. 
You see, one of the ways that churches get into trouble is when their freedom becomes more important than love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. When freedom is more important than righteousness, we're going to get in trouble. See, freedom in Christ to do things that you enjoy is not the ultimate value. It is valuable. It's not ultimate. When we believe that our freedom is the ultimate good, it will inevitably be spoken of as evil. Why? Because our desires will supersede love. It will overrule love and overthrow peace. Our desires will supersede, overrule love, and overthrow peace. So freedom in Christ is not the ultimate value here. It seems that love is. Now, this is talking about the Christian life. And when you think about what Paul, when he says about love in 1 Corinthians 13, we always read it at church, at uh, wedding ceremonies, and that's good and right, but the original context was actually church. Uh, he says, look, faith, spiritual gifts, the speaking in tongues, you guys got it a little confused, but uh, those things are going to pass away. But uh, these things, faith, hope, and love, those remain. And the greatest of these is love. You study out the rest of the New Testament, you come to a conclusion. Uh, when you see Jesus face to face, faith will be sight. You no longer have to believe in something that you haven't seen yet. You, ha you and I hope for heaven where everything is perfect. When you're there, there's no longer something to hope for because you already have it. Still, love remains. It is a greater value. We're to love others. We, we, it's great to enjoy freedom in Christ, but it can't be more important than loving our brothers and sisters. He goes on, Therefore, your freedom in Christ must not be an obstacle to what God is doing. Verse 19 through 21. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace. That's harmony, unity. And for mutual upbuilding, building each other up in the faith. Do not, verse 20, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Think about that, that logically. Is it logical to take what Christ has work, is working and creating through his shed blood and the work of the Holy Spirit and all this stuff to then tear it apart for a piece of bacon or some heavy metal? It's not. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Pursuing freedom in Christ is an obstacle when you lead someone to follow your example, which goes against their conscience. Now, I've been sort of joking about the bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich, but because uh, in America, most American Christians aren't really worried about whether we can eat bacon or not. But these people were. The principle here is simply this. If, they, if a Jew who is uneasy about pork sees you eating a pork chop, and then he decides to eat it because you do, and then he realizes, oh man, I might not be okay with God anymore. You've caused him to stumble, is what he's saying. You've caused him to do something that he, he's not so sure is okay. Like my Salvadoran friend who wasn't sure he could listen to Elvis sing the gospel. Pastors talk about this. My childhood pastor, was a, who I absolutely love and revere to this day, he's gone home to be with the Lord, Pastor Bunny. I remember him talking about, about wine. 
And it talks about it later in our passage, which we'll see. But he said he was not convinced that the Bible outlawed the drinking of wine. He said, obviously, it outlaws drunkenness. But wine, I'm not so sure about. He said, in fact, I would enjoy a glass of wine with my dinner. But because I did not want to make a brother stumble, I refrained from drinking alcohol. Now, when I heard him talk about that, I always understood him to be saying, I don't want to be the reason that somebody who struggles with alcohol might pick up a bottle again and fall back into it. And I do think that's probably what he meant, and that's a good application, but I think the passage goes a little further. I, or you, may be uncomfortable with drinking wine, but if you see the great Pastor Bunny drinking wine, maybe I can do it. And you have a glass of wine with dinner, that's all it is, but you feel uneasy in your conscience before God, that's stumbling too. I had a pastor friend who I I texted him to make sure it was okay to share this story. He said, you know, I I interviewed with a a pastor search committee, and I knew knew it was pretty much over when I told him that I have, from time to time, a glass of scotch and a cigar. Now, I couldn't imagine. He gave his biblical reason and said, look, the Bible doesn't rule out having a drink. I can't imagine why he would want to because it's like turpentine. But apparently he enjoyed that. And he wasn't drinking it to drunkenness, but he said that was pretty much the end of the conversation. He said, but they never asked the follow-up question. So I looked at him like, what's the follow-up question to this? He said, they never asked if I would abstain from it for the sake of fellowship. And the answer was yes. What he is saying is similar to what Pastor Bunny was saying. Because I don't want to hinder the work of God while I feel free in Christ to enjoy this, I will set it aside. That is a very mature way to handle freedom in Christ. If you want to know which example I follow, it's still Pastor Bunny's. I, I kind of don't think it was grape juice that they called wine. They didn't have refrigerators. Stuff ferments quickly. Nevertheless, I don't want to be the cause of somebody else stumbling, either into a addiction or going against their own conscience. Besides, it doesn't taste good anyway, and it's overpriced. We have freedom in Christ, but our freedom must not be an obstacle to what God is doing by creating a church that he's drawn people together through the work of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ. We can't be the reason that somebody else stumbles into sin while I realize that somebody might use somebody else as an excuse. Paul says, look, this isn't about how somebody else would talk. This is about you and I deciding to be responsible. So we are to pursue... What brings peace and edifies others? Faith in Christ, you see, is the source of true freedom. Look at verse 22 and 23. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. In other words, translation Uh, You're enjoying this stuff. Well, blessed are you because you're not feeling condemned for enjoying it. Verse 23, but you should understand the other side of the coin. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. 
Because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So we gain Christ's approval through faith in Jesus Christ, and there is therefore now no condemnation. There is great freedom in that. Not sure if that's true. Romans 5, 1 and 2. I've been studying the book of Romans in depth to preach, but also behind the scenes for my own uh, edification. This is my sort of, I think, the summary of the gospel. Therefore, since we have been justified, that means we have been made acceptable. We who are guilty before God, condemned as sinners, have been, have been justified by faith in Jesus. We then have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You're acceptable to him. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. In other words, you're in a right relation with God, not because you were kosher or followed all the, all the ceremonies of the Old Testament, rather through faith in Christ. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's freedom in that. You're not sure if that's true? Uh, this week I've become aware of some people who have committed sins, terrible sins, sometimes decades ago, who have gotten finally justice seems to be coming upon them. And I thought that through and I said, you know, they probably never really felt comfortable. Because there was always this sense that tomorrow may be the day that comes that justice prevails and I get caught. And so they're always sort of looking over their shoulders. Guess what? God has all of the video evidence about how we lived our lives. And I remember reading this just the other day. 43% of people that they call the millennial generation uh, believe, they either believe God doesn't exist or that he does exist and they simply don't care. Now, you can take that stance to all you want, but that doesn't mean the judge isn't watching. You will care. And I don't want it to be when it is too late. For the child of God, the freedom that comes with justification is simply this, amongst other things knowing that the day that I come face to face with my Creator and the judge of the universe, justice was already dished out on His Son, Jesus Christ. There's freedom in that. Paul picks up the thought in chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the Spirit of life, the law of the life-giving Spirit, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death was talking about the Old Testament. It's a wonderful thing, but what it tended to do was show us that we are sinners. The law of the Spirit of life, however, faith in Christ Jesus, set us free. The Apostle Paul was taken up with this. Like, no longer do I have to try to, like, to slavishly do all this stuff to try to get God's approval. I have already have it through faith in Christ. New Testament scholar F.F. F. Bruce, this brilliant guy from England, he wrote a book called Paul, the Apostle of the Free Spirit. Now they changed the name when they brought it over to America to Apostle of the Heart Set Free because they didn't think the Americans could handle that title. 
Paul, the apostle of the free spirit. He was set free in Christ to no longer feel like he had to earn salvation. To no longer live in fear of God's condemnation. And he was also set free to set aside his preferences and desires to love others properly. Romans 8.3 For God has done what the law, good as it was, weakened by the flesh, could not do. It couldn't give us salvation. All it brought was condemnation. Because by looking through the law of God, we find we are all guilty. By, he, how did he do this? How did he, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in his flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Paul didn't live his Christian life in fear and terror. He was free to enjoy the bounty of God's creation. See, faith in Christ is the source of true freedom. And Paul was convinced, however, that for the one whose faith in Christ was strong, it is no longer necessary to be kosher, to only eat certain foods that were set apart. One scholar wrote that for Paul, everything was kosher. Bacon was back on the menu. But for the one who doubts to participate in those things would be as if they had sinned, even if the Bible hadn't told them that it was sin. So enjoy your freedom in Christ responsibly, knowing that you and I live before God, who is the judge. So what's the take-home point? How do we respond? Well, for the child of God, determine to enjoy your freedom, but do it responsibly. As Christians, we on Memorial Day, it seems fitting to give honor to those to whom honor is due, and that would be soldiers who some pay the ultimate price to provide freedom for us and protect it. As Christians, we have freedom because Christ died, but he rose again. This morning, if you want to know what true freedom in Christ is, the invitation to, to come to Christ is simply this, to turn away from sin, to turn to Jesus in faith. See, when you become a child of God, not only are you being saved from sin, you are set free to live before God without condemnation. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitanoia, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. Thank you for listening.